Good afternoon, everyone. I wanted to share with you a, a little bit of context for what we're going to do this afternoon. Uh, if you've been tuning in on the live stream each evening, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday leading up to this, we have been um, doing a live stream training, basically the two of us sitting at a table like this, going over certain aspects of Sabbath school work, especially the lesson study, how to prepare for it, how to lead out a discussion and teach the lesson. And uh, this morning then, we did something different than that. We actually had the, as you probably recall, the Sabbath school program there, Pastor Howard led out and the lesson study for this week about uh, this portion of Isaiah, which I found particularly uh, fascinating about God's uh, justice and his vengeance, wrath. It was, it was really, really quality stuff. And then more of a sermon-like presentation by myself. So we've done some trainings on video. We're doing uh, Sabbath school teaching. This Then we did preaching. And now this afternoon, we're doing a few different formatted things uh, even beyond that. So what we're going to do at this time is take a, one of our afternoon features and break it into two essential parts. Basically, the first half of what we're going to do is what we're calling the post-game analysis. And Pastor Howard will let you know a little bit more about that in just a second here, what that is and why we're doing it. And then after we have a discussion for several minutes here about some of the things we've seen in recent lesson quarterly, strengths and weaknesses, then we're going to open the floor to questions or comments that you might have, because we would like to, in the spirit of Sabbath school, have an interactive opportunity. And I know we're, you know, distanced and we got masks and whatnot, but they still, just like this morning, have uh, microphones on the ready for anyone who would like to raise your hand or have a comment and talk about some of the questions you might have when it comes to Sabbath school preparation, Sabbath school study, Sabbath school, anything related to Sabbath school. We want to help you uh, with those kinds of things. Or mission, the mission inside of Sabbath school, anything connected in any way tangentially to the Sabbath school program, we want to be a resource for you this afternoon. So the first part, again, is going to be our post-game analysis. Post -game. Then we're going to open the floor to some questions and answer time. Uh, so, Pastor Howard, why don't you tell us a little bit more detail. What is this post-game analysis? What are we doing right here? All right. Well, <clears throat> one of the things we, sp we spoke about this week was the... the, the, the of course, our Sabbath school is dwindling, and I think when we started off, we talked about, at least from my perspective, I've had a lot of people say, I really just don't like the quarterly. I don't like going through the quarterly. I don't like, uh, I don't get much out of it. And so we've given some tips in that direction. But when I talked to Cameron about initially, I think it was after the quarter on education, Yep. And I said, why don't we, you know, in, in talking points, we put ourselves on a timer and we're not really a hard line timer, but right around 30 minutes. And we don't get into giving any of the background of what we deal with going into the lessons. We tried to do that more this this past week and this weekend. And when we go through a lesson or a quarterly, there are things that we have to navigate around. There are things in the lesson sometimes that we just don't agree with. <laughs> uh, there are things that aren't maybe as interesting. There are... Or, 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 or interests and, and features that were drawn out that were like, where did they come up? Why did they do hey. this thing? It's so, so obvious, you know. Exactly. And I thought to myself, that's we ought to do an episode at least each quarter where we do a post-game analysis of the quarterly and some of the challenges we ran into because I think that would be helpful to Sabbath school teachers and leaders. <laughs> and the challenge that I had with that is because, man, it sounds like we're going to go through You have through to understand <laughs> that I am the department associate 
And the nice thing about the associate is if anything goes wrong, administration talks to him. That's right. I I'm, actually, just, yeah, I'm just the associate. Exactly. So it's so my hide thinking, that's on the line. So I'm thinking politically, how can this be spun as a bad thing? And can you imagine if we went through the quarter and each week taught the lesson and then at the end said, look, here's all the stuff we didn't like about this quarter, you know, and just kind of tore apart the lesson quarterly, which is not the goal. But there were a lot of conversations. There are a lot of conversations that people have offline that won't be that we won't discuss in the program where people say, you know, this quarter, I don't understand why they were talking about this or where was this trying to go? Or it seems like the whole quarter was it. And. I had to sell yeah. him on it because, yeah, because if, if I was the one who came to him with it. And at first he's like, okay, so we're going to basically do an episode to trash the quarterly every quarter. And I said, no. And that's not what we're going to do today either. Let's be clear about that. But we do also at the same time want to be forthright and fact, honest that there are this. challenges people run into. And how do you deal with them? Our, our, our goal is that more people would be using the quarterly. Mm -hmm. And so my pitch to, to Pastor Cameron was a lot of people aren't, using it because they don't know how to navigate around certain things. And if we can teach them what we do to navigate around our problems, because you have to understand something that's really awesome about the, and, and I'm going to call it the quarterly forever, even though we told you that's not the official name. Everybody calls it that. It is the adult Bible, Sabbath school Bible study guide. Which is published every quarter. So and thus so, the thus name. Quarterly. But um, <clears throat> the, nickname. The, the beauty of it is that people around the entire Seventh-day Adventists around the entire globe are at least studying close to the same topic. And the further we get away from that, the, the more potential there is for the devil to divide us. Hmm. And so there's a real benefit in going by the quarterly lesson. But there are some things we've learned in navigating through it that we wanted to share with you. So that's what we're talking about this afternoon. And what we didn't want to do is pretend that there weren't any challenges. Right. And then people would just quietly be frustrated and then jettison the whole thing. Exactly. Because the goal isn't to get rid of it. The goal is to get the most out of the great resources right. the General Conference has put together. But the goal ultimately is not to pop this up. It's to use this to get us deeper into this. And that's our objective this afternoon. And we haven't even had an opening word of prayer yet here. Yeah. So we're going to do that. But I just wanted to let you know that the goal of what we're talking about here isn't just to highlight particular problems or issues or something like that. It's to be a resource for all of us to think about what do you do when you run into these obstacles and to let's not pretend that they're not there, but how to navigate them appropriately. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's just be, pray? Yeah, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get into our material. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to visit together on this Sabbath day. Thank you for the congregation that's assembled here in person and online. And Lord, as we look at the Bible study guides that have been so well prepared, we want to get the most out of this hard work and at the same time recognize that they're put together by fallible human beings, beings and we need the leading of the Holy Spirit so he can lead us into all truth. So Lord, we would ask that you would fulfill that promise in our hearing today, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's begin... Um, we had talked about doing this recording about the same time that Advent Hope contacted us. And we thought, wouldn't it be great? So we're recording this right now. And we're going to put this on our YouTube page and on our website. Which again, that website. MichiganSSPM.org. MichiganSSPM.org. But we thought we ought, to, we ought to just hold off and record this while we're out at Advent Hope. So here we are. And we want to talk about, first and foremost... Uh, I want to talk about some of the challenges we've run into in quarterly lessons, 
and how we've navigated around them. But before that, uh, we just had, um, you know, there are things we also learned from our own leading out of, of talking points that have um, been educational. For example, the lesson we did this morning, that I taught this morning, lesson number six, we record several weeks ahead. And, you know, up to up to even six weeks ahead, we've been at some yeah. time. And so we were actually, we, we, we'd outlined lesson number six, we recorded lesson number six, and once we had done it, we were ready to publish it for Talking Points, and Cameron and I talked about it, and we realized that we were getting away from the whole in, original intent of Talking Points, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Lesson, as I mentioned this morning, lesson number six covers 15 chapters in Isaiah. I don't care how good a teacher is, you're not covering 15 chapters in your 45 minute or 55 minute, or even if they give you an hour and 15 minutes for Sabbath school class, which doesn't happen. And so what I found myself doing, it, and it became more, you know, when we started Talking Points, we were working with the education quarterly. It was topical. And so it was, in some ways, easier to draw out different points that we wanted to dwell on. But then when we got into Isaiah, it's a narrative. You're going through the book of Isaiah, and you kind of feel guilty, like, well, leaving out <laughs> a part of the Bible in the in the court. So here we've got 15 chapters, and after we had recorded that, I found that what I did, and in fact, the last few lessons, I was trying to basically bullet point every point that could be made from the lesson so that those who came to Sabbath school class wouldn't miss anything. Now, I'm going to ask you what at least one of the faults of that kind of thinking is. Anybody have any thoughts? Go ahead. There's one in the back right there. Amen. Say it again. They should have read it on their own. Excellent. What, what, what I realized I was doing as a teacher, and I'm saying this because some of, some of you who have taught maybe are more this way than others. I, I think of J.N. Andrews. How many of you know the name of J.N. Andrews? Okay, Andrews University was named after J.N. Andrews. John Andrews was, Ellen White says that God raised up John Andrews for this movement. And he was a, a, a premier scholar, but Eleanor Andrews had a tendency to be very thorough with things. And I share that because when I'm teaching a Sabbath school class, I want to make sure I'm not giving misinformation. So just because I read it in the quarterly doesn't mean that it's spot on. I've got to do it in a and, and I do that to a fault. And so Ellen White counseled Andrews at one point. She said she likened his studying to planting the seeds of truth in the hearts of the people, in the minds of the people. And she said, Brother Andrews, you need to be careful that you don't plant the seeds so deeply that the tender shoots never reach the surface of the ground. And so he tended to be overly... And for whatever it's worth, we went through that lesson, and I personally felt like Instead of trying to teach something people can take away and feel like they learned something practical, I gave such a massive information, which is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do with talking points. So we actually redid the outline and re-recorded the whole thing. Yeah, and that's the, that's a great feeling when you're finished with something. You're like, you know what? It wasn't that good. Let's start over from scratch. It's like great plan. <sighs> yeah. But it was worth it because, exactly that point, if we were just going to go in and just start rehashing the entirety of the lesson quarterly for everyone who didn't study it, 
then we're just providing, basically reading it to them, you know, bullet pointed out. And that's not the goal. We assume, like the brother said in the back, that people should be studying their Sabbath school lessons before the Sabbath day. That there is some personal responsibility when it comes to your Sabbath school lesson that we sh- a teacher should expect that the members of the class will have familiarity with the information before they attend. Uh, and we were kind of losing a, the, the focus there. You know, Cameron and I were talking about, I, we've been to, how many times have you been to Evan? Oh. I've lost count for how many times I've been here, but never did I realize how regular your train schedule is. I mean, I was, what in the world? Is, oh, it's another train. It's the transportation. We've always here. been inside. So anyway, but you, to your point, yeah. you like to make it's real today. Isn't it? it's, it's very authentic. This is good. Authentic lighting and sound, the whole thing. It's great. Anyway. Anyway, my, my takeaway from that for all of us is... Not just that, you know, you have this massive information you're trying to cover. I'm going to pause for just a moment for the engine. Just think about what he was saying quietly in your mind for a few minutes. Meditate on it, cogitate a little sure. bit, and then. My concern working in the Sabbath school department is it can be overwhelming to a teacher. If you're trying to teach the lesson and you feel like you've got to cover all this material, for some people, maybe more than others, you, it can just discourage you out of wanting to teach a lesson. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of wanting to give you, as if you're ever, if you've taught or if you're planning to teach in the future, your goal as teacher, if this goes for preaching, this goes for Bible studies, is never to exhaust the lesson. An evangelistic sermon, you go to an evangelist meeting and the pre- sermon is on the Sabbath. That does not exhaust the subject of the Sabbath. I can't, if people come up to me and say, yeah, but there's this thing about the Sabbath. Like, I had an hour. You think I'm covering every last thing? And in the same way with Sabbath school, the goal is not to cover everything that can be covered. If you're a Sabbath school participant, don't expect the teacher to do all the studying for you. You do your own study, and then the teacher's going to bring out highlights that the Lord's going to lead that teacher in. And if you're doing the teaching, bring out the highlights. There was so much we could have covered in 15 chapters of Isaiah this morning that I didn't scratch the surface on. I mean, we could have spent six weeks on the great controversy and that was part of a lesson so for those of you who are teachers i want to encourage you that when you're preparing your lessons your job isn't to cover every last thing let the lord lead you to draw out those points that you think will be helpful to your listeners and for those of you who aren't teachers but you well even if you're not participants if you're if you're participants in sabbath school study your lessons if you're not participants in Sabbath school, make a commitment today to start going to Amen. Sabbath school. Amen. 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 All right. So, let's so that was a little lesson that we learned just from our own mistakes. Exactly. And so while, you know, and there will be you're more. kind of referring <laughs> to the other extreme where you come so prepared and you just drill down, drill down, and give so much information. And that's clearly not what we're advocating either. This is the, the teacher stand up and just like go through point after point after point after point after point and just drill, you know, plant right. the seeds of evil. But the opposite is not true either, that you just open the floor to any opinion that comes around and just pretend that everybody's equally, you know, giving a contribution here. So what you really want to do, as Mark was just talking about there, is know the material well enough that you can draw out those key, what we call talking points, and be able to communicate those in the Sabbath school lesson context when you're teaching them. And then the conversation can be guided around those key ideas so that everyone leaves knowing what we're talking about. What? (laughs) Anyway, that might not come up here on the recording so much. So we should it's sure game. Okay. Good point. Thank you. 
Now, now what we want to do, and I just have my this this um, quarter's lesson with me, so I don't have everything outlined. But we're going to touch on a couple of the things we've talked about in with former quarters. The last couple, like the one, the last quarter was on education. And the one before that was on making friends for God, and both had a lot of good things in them. There were some things that we walked away from, and initially I thought I would like to just express so the people who don't, I guess, don't feel guilty for feeling maybe the same way. Um, well, let's just dive into an example. Yeah, yeah. So the education when we when we started that quarterly, I thought to myself, you know, this is a timely lesson. Because my feeling is that in Seventh-day Adventism, everything is in need of reform to some degree. And, and I'm not wanting to be super radical. I might get there later. But, um, you know, we, we all we need we need we're not exactly where the Lord needs us to be in any area. And education is one of those areas. If you've done any study on the inspired co- uh, uh, council on education. There are some things we follow well. There's some things we don't just like things in the church. And as pastors, yep. you're always preaching about those things in the church. For example, things that we need to, you know, when you're a pastor of a local congregation, you're, part of your messages are telling the congregation things you need to change in. But education is one of those areas that I feel has been a sacred cow in the church where you just better not saying it. So when I saw the quarterly, I thought, well, this is timely. Because we have the best education system in the world, and we're not using it to its full potential. So I thought, this is going to be a great quarterly. It's going to, and even going into talking points, we kind of gave the preface, like, there are some things that the lesson's probably going to cover that are going to be negative, but it's not to tear down education, to build up, etc., etc. And I really thought that's where the quarterly was going to go. Talking about at least Christian education. Right. Well, what ended up happening, if you recall that quarter, um, the top, they, it, was, it was a topical thing, and so it wasn't just the study of education itself. It ended up being more like science and education, art and education. So it was honestly, it was, came across as like a topical, here's a, the Sabbath, a Sabbath and, education. and education, worship and education. So basically it was just any topical thing with the word and education or in education. And so it was like a so study like of the, the Sabbath. Sabbath and education was educating about the Sabbath. Right, teaching people versus... about the Sabbath. How do we see education in art? And th- nothing wrong with that at all. Those were all totally fine things, but it didn't get to the actual philosophy, biblical foundation of why we do education the way we do. Even though it did touch on some of those things, it didn't do it to the degree that we were anticipating. And so it was, it was a bit, should I say, disappointing, uh, and that there were these topics which were good in themselves but they seem to be drifting away. They were tangential to education, not central to the quality discussion that we thought would be very beneficial to the church at this time. So that was a challenge. Yeah, and, and then in that under that umbrella, there was really not a lot on, you know, one of the, I'm going to ask you the question. What is the primary purpose of Seventh-day Adventist education? Does anybody know? What was Seventh-day Adventist, what were Seventh-day Adventist schools to train people to do? To be missionaries. Missionaries. And as Cameron mentioned this morning, not foreign missionaries, anywhere, everywhere missionaries. Uh, In art schools used to be called missionary colleges. And so I expected somewhere in the quarterly that we'd be talking about training people in, you know, the work of soul winning again. And there was just 
very, very little, little to nothing on that. Yeah. And then also I expected that there were, you know, what's we know God's got two lesson books, right? One is the Bible, and what's the other one? Nature. There was nothing about education in nature. I'm trying surprised. to remember, was there a day, or where was there even one week? There might have been a day, might, but, but I'm saying if it is, it was a glancing blow. It wasn't like square on. Yeah. Now, now uh, we're not bringing this up to, to 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 fault anybody per se, but what do you do? Maybe you shared some of those feelings, but you went through and you felt like, well, it's a little lackluster. The lessons aren't really stirring, and I'm supposed to teach the class, and how am I going to get the class stirred up if I'm not stirred up? And if you had any of those feelings, that's kind of where we were, and the tendency, and I've had this expressed to me, not just by by lay people and lay leaders, Sabbath school leaders and superintendents and teachers, but pastors themselves who say, you know, I'm just not using the quarterly anymore. Hmm. So what do you do when you run into a situation, you're like, well, it's just kind of lackluster, and I'm not getting a lot out of it. Some people tend to say, I'm going to go in a different direction, and we're not encouraging that you would do that. And here's the beauty of the quarterly when you understand it. That this, and if you weren't here when we talked about this the other night, the quarterly is not the lesson guide for Sabbath school. This is the lesson guide for Sabbath school. And so on those weeks where I felt the lesson itself in the quarterly was weak, guess what? When I read the passages in the Bible that the lesson was drawing from, there was something in those. Mm -hmm. So there's always something you can take. And you may say, "But, but wait a minute, I... I'm supposed to teach exactly what the quarterly says, or I have to have the same train of thought that the contributor had. No, you don't. Mm. Because you, as a teacher or a leader, are going to be led by the Holy Spirit to give what the Bible calls meat in due season to your own congregation. There are going to be people, perhaps, in your Sabbath school group that you know are struggling with something that maybe a certain passage brings out that the lesson never touched on. And, and the, to be to, to their credit, those people who produce this resource understand that, and that's why we, you know, exactly. colloquially call it the quarterly. But it hasn't been officially the quarterly from some decades now. It's the Adult Bible Study Guide, and so the goal of it is to help us say. Now, I think sometimes people read into quarterly almost liturgy, like we're going to go through this rote doctrine in this order, this way. But that's not what it's built for. If you ask the people in the Sabbath school department, they don't anticipate that you use it as a script to go through in that order with these points every week the same. That's not the uniformity. That there is a unity from studying the same material, and this is a guide to help you do that. But the real lesson book is the Bible itself. And the other thing to keep in mind is don't feel like if you don't cover, like, well, but I'm supposed to cover what's in the lesson. No, everybody has the lesson. If you want to read what's in the lesson, read what's in the lesson. So, for example, if I get up on Sabbath morning and teach you something in, in my class night and I don't even open the lesson, guess what? You had this all week. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you didn't have time to study this week and you said, well, the Sabbath school teacher didn't cover it, then read it next week. And you'll get everything that was said. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's not the teacher's job to duplicate what could already be studied. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying not use it or take things out of it, but if you run into a lesson that you feel is a little dry... Go into those passages of scripture, and there will be things to draw out. 
Now, the quarter before that was called Making Friends for God. And this is the one I was particularly excited about because this is the Sabbath School and Personal right. Ministries Department. We've got a whole quarter that's going to discuss the biblical basis for our soul-winning mindset. And I was super And there were some very good things in that quarter. Yes, I want to be clear about it. There was some very good. I think that Elder Finley was the main contributor to that one. And right. we have a good relationship with him. Great stuff. But, you know, it's also one man's view and then goes through the editorial process. Yeah, then it comes out the other end and probably gets contributed to the BRI. Who calls what mechanism gives this as a resulting document, right? So, again, good intentions come out, but it still may not be hitting on those very points that you see as the most appropriate or relevant where you are or as you see the need of the church. So, for instance, in that quarter, we talked a lot about all different aspects of friendship evangelism, how to be kind and warm and caring and thoughtful and generous and all those very good things. But it seemed like, oh, here's another week talking about basically the same thing. Here's another week talking about basically the same thing. And what I found particularly interesting was that there was one week of that 13 weeks of study that actually discussed our distinctive message. The very thing we're supposed to be sharing with the world in personal ministry didn't actually get covered except for one week. And it was a good week. But man, you try to put all, all the three angels' message and distinctive Advent movement identity into this one week. Oof, it's, it's a lot to cover. And you could have maybe spread that out and given more practical ways to share that effectively with your friends. And I felt that that was a little lacking in that one. Not well, that anything was bad. It just could have been differently appropriate. One of the reasons for that, and part of this is coming from our background, is you know we train in evangelism. And I've given so many seminars and training events on how to share with your neighbors and how to share with your coworkers and how to share with your friends. But the bottom line is this. If you are not excited about the message, you're not sharing with anybody. Mm. And so the message has to be at the core of everything. And that's, so I've trained people who just have never, never, have no intention to ever share it <laughs> because the message either doesn't stir them or they don't understand the uniqueness of the Adventist message. They say, well, my Baptist friends are telling people about Jesus. And, you know, the televangelists from all the different denominations are telling people. But they're not preparing them for the coming of Christ, mm. like a seven-day Adventist can. And so that realization really drives a lot. And so, yeah, we, we wanted to see a little bit more of that. And then, as you mentioned, the, the, the friendship evangelism. You know, people like to hear about friendship evangelism because it's not as challenging. I don't think we do as much friendship evangelism as we could and should. So here's a little plug. Restoration is going to give you an opportunity. There are 10,000 little gift kit. What are, what are you calling this specifically? But gifts. What? Blessing bags. Care, care bags care or care kits. kits or whatever. Care packets. That are, go, that are made up to distribute to healthcare professionals to show them we appreciate them. Now, I can't think of an easier way to witness than that. Like, you know, and I said this the other night on, on, online that I can understand. Like, I train people to do cold calling, and you go to a door of somebody you've never been, knock on the door, they're, they don't know you're coming, and there you are, and you're like, hey, would you like Bible study? No, I'm not interested in the Bible. You guys are crazy. But you can run into that. But what are you going to run into? What kind of persecution are you going to suffer by saying, we appreciate what you're doing and here's a gift? So I don't understand people like, I can't do that. That's a little unnerving for me. So what a great opportunity. Sign up and be a part of that and be a blessing to somebody else. 
So we could do more. Sometimes we don't do as much um, just because we busy ourselves, what have you. Having said that, I don't think... I don't think it's because we have a lack of understanding on how to be nice. And so when the quarterly spends all these lessons, like you can be nice this way and you can be nice that way, my experience is that a lot of people aren't sharing because they feel insecure about their own knowledge of the message. And how do I share this? And what if they say this to me and I don't know the answer? And so I expected more of those practical kinds of trainings in that quarter, and so we just we just put them in there. <laughs> well, and you have been running the Manual Institute for quite a while now, and you've seen it time and again. You can give all the practical instruction about here's how you can share your faith, but when you go over what they think is going to be maybe boring, like the Bible boot camp, like just opening your Bible, looking at the message again squarely in the face, then people get excited to go out. That's then true. people, get, because they said, ah, I have an identity, I have a mission, there's a distinct message, this is what, and it buoys them up to go share their faith. Right. So, so anyway. those are come, some broad thoughts on former quarterly. Now we're going to dive into a few specifics that we've run into this particular quarter. I, I appreciate the Isaiah lessons, mm-hmm. and I appreciate, I, again, I don't know who to uh, commend, or so, which I kind of like that way. I'm not blaming anybody. Whatever. Uh, Dr. Gain, I think, has done a great job contributing, the editing staff. But there are a couple things that we've run into that we want to give as examples so that, you know, um, sometimes you'll run into things in, in the quarterly and you'll be scratching your head until somebody else says, did you read that thing? You're like, oh, oh I thought I was crazy. Did you get that too? And so perhaps this might be the case. But um, a little example in uh, lesson four called The Hard Way, and I'd give you a page number, but I was just thinking I have Teacher's Quarterly, and if it wasn't the Teacher's Quarterly, it it would be a different page number. Well, it tells you the page number of the standard at the top. You're okay. Oh, I never paid attention to that. Oh. I usually don't go by the page. So in that hard way lesson, it makes a point on Sunday's lesson. The, the, the prophet Isaiah, in fact... This is taken from... If you have your quarterlies, by the way, the teacher's edition is page 45, and the standard edition is page 29. Now, I don't know if people actually brought their quarterly here, but there'd be a bonus prize. Uh, Actually, I don't know if there's a bonus prize. I'll be happy if they have the Bibles. We'll we'll start with the Bible, okay. If you have your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 7. Because this is where the thought is, is drawn from. In Isaiah 7, there is a prophecy about a special birth. And I want to look at it because our next, the next thing we're going to say is touching on this as well. Isaiah 7, verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now I have to give a little, a very brief background on this so that you understand where we're going with this in the next question. The quarterly shares that at this particular time in Israel, the, the, the God's people were divided into the northern kingdom, which was in the region of Samaria, and the southern kingdom in the area of Judah, uh, Judea. 
And so, uh, Jerusalem. So, the northern kingdom was ruled by a king named Pekah, the son of Remaliah. The southern kingdom in Jerusalem was ruled by a king named Ahaz. There was a growing power in the world called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were led by a king named Tiglath-Pileser III. And Tiglath-Pileser was enlarging his territory and starting to conquer territory all over the place. In order to fight against them, the king of Israel, which was the ten tribes in the north in Samaria, uh, Pekah, he decided he was going to league up and get help from Rezin, the king of Syria. Now, just a quick quiz. Is it a good idea or a bad idea for the king of God's people to turn to the Gentiles for help? Not a good idea, right? Certainly a bad idea. But he's going to league up, and so, and their intention was, it gets better, he's going to league up, uh, Pekah, king of Israel, is going to league up with Rezin, the king of Syria, and they're going to come and conquer Jerusalem and take Ahaz off the throne and put their own puppet ruler on the throne so that they can then control Judah and Jerusalem as well, and they can all fight against Assyria. Well, Ahaz didn't like that idea, obviously, being conquered and taken off the throne by his brothers and sisters up north. So he decided he would just go straight to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of the Assyrians, and say, hey, why don't you protect me from these guys? And when he did that, was that a good idea for the king of the southern kingdom to reach out to the Gentiles for help? Who should he have gone to for help? To the Lord, right? So God sends Isaiah the prophet with a message to King Ahaz to say, listen, don't worry about these two kings, Rezin and Pekah. I'll protect you. You're going to be okay. And in fact, you can ask us, and there's more to the story there, but that this is the context that this comes in. And so when this promised child, the wind just blew me way off point on where I was back in Isaiah 7, the Lord makes a promise in the context of this child, and I, well, I'm, I'm kind of getting into the next thing yet. So um, let, before we dive into that, in the particular prophecy here, which we're going to unfold in a minute, it says, curds and honey he shall eat, that he may uh, know how to refuse the evil. We probably ought to come back to that. Okay. Simply because this is a, now when you, when you hear, first of all, when you hear Isaiah 14, the Lord himself so we'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she call his name is Emmanuel. What's that have to do with? Who's that referring to? Oh, everybody knows it refers to Jesus. It does. The New Testament writers make that application to Jesus. But one thing you'll discover as you read through Isaiah is there's a blending of what we call classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. Classical prophecy happens in the here and now. Classical prophecy is when the prophet talks in local, literal terms to the people of God about what's happening to them. Apocalyptic prophecy, instead of being local and literal, tends to be symbolic and universal and end-time prophecy. Do you see the difference? And what Isaiah does in many places 
is it blends prophecies that have local and literal fulfillments with prophecies that have future fulfillments. So we know about the fulfillment of the virgin bearing a child and pointing to the birth of Jesus. However, in the passage, the sign is being given to King Ahaz that God will protect him from this league between these two kings, Rezin and Pekah. So what's the local sign? Now, I want you to, it, well, you may have your quarterly. If you do have your quarterly, we're actually going to look at lesson three. We were in lesson four, and I'll bring a point out from that. But in lesson three, on page, oh. I'm getting to it. I just, I flipped in my screen, didn't want to go where I wanted to go. Um, pay, oh, Wednesday's lesson. What page is that, Cameron? Is your, the That's going to be Standard Edition, page 24, Teacher's Edition, page 35, and you're looking at the third paragraph on that day's, that Wednesday's Well, lesson. actually, in the first paragraph, it, it's the whole section is called The Sign of a Son, and it's going over this prophecy in Isaiah 7. And then why don't you highlight that third paragraph? Here? It says, well, the statement you're looking at specifically is that third paragraph opening where it says, Nowhere does the Old Testament point out a fulfillment of this important sign, as it had done for the signs given to other people, such as Gideon. And so then it goes on, the rest of the lesson is to talk about other possible fulfillments, but we can't know for sure, and it doesn't tell us what it is in the Old Testament. So basically, if I'm going to paraphrase, we know that this big picture applies to Jesus, but they're saying we don't see the local fulfillment in the book of Isaiah itself, so we guess here's a few good guesses. However, <laughs> it, it even went so far as to imply in the lesson that there really wasn't a local fulfillment. The only fulfillment was that of pointing to Jesus. And it really wasn't until we were doing a talking points on this lesson, mm -hmm. we were actually reviewing and... <laughs> Take your, take your Bibles and look at Isaiah 8 for a minute. In the very beginning of Isaiah, this is the very next chapter after that prophecy is given. The Bible says in verse 1, Moreover the Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Meir Shalal Hashbaz. And this was Isaiah's second. Well, you'll see this. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess. Now you'll see in the context he speaks of his wife. And she conceived and did what? For a son. For a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Meir Shalal Hashbaz, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now, we were looking at this in the in our review, and Cameron just offhandedly says, yeah, Mayor Shalah Hashbaz, the fulfillment of the prophecy in chapter 7. And I thought, what? And I, of course, I looked at the lesson, and I looked at different commentators, and they really didn't spell it out as... And when he said that, it, it dawned on me for the first time, like, it is a strange coincidence that God sent Isaiah to foretell the birth of a son with specific characteristics, and lo and behold, in the very next chapter, we have the birth of a son. Are you with me so far? 
Okay, now I want to look at some of the details in this. Now, now of course, in the quarterly, the quarterly is like, we don't see any fulfillment of this in the Old Testament. And I just kind of run with that. So when Cameron had made the point, I went back and looked at it. Now, I want you to see something again in chapter 7, and we're going to put these two together. And again, keep in mind that God, when God sends a prophet with a sign... <laughs> It's for the benefit of the person he's giving the sign to. So as much as there's a sign of the coming Messiah, and we see the fulfillment there, there was a sign specifically given for King Ahaz. And if you read the whole context, Ahaz actually was trying to avoid a sign because he was trying to go his own way. And Isaiah said, well, guess what? God's going to give you a sign anyway. So it would be foolish if he didn't follow through with a sign. Well, it seems like, you know, the, the parallel to that, you think of Jesus' dual prophecy in Matthew chapter 24, when he's talking about the end of the world, but they're asking him about the physical temple and the, and the persecution that's going to come. Right. And if Jesus only talked about things that would fulfill later on, he's like, here's your sign, 2,000 years from now. It's like, what? what? Right. But it applied also in his time, and Isaiah's doing the same thing. Yeah, and you'll see this. This will be as, as clear as crystal in just a moment. Back in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold the virgin. Now, the first thing you want to understand is that that word in the Hebrew just refers to a woman of marriageable age. So she does not have to be a virgin who's never been with a man, okay? So we know the virgin birth of Christ, and we agree with the virgin birth. But in the passage, in the Hebrew, the virgin means a, a woman of marriageable age. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, one of the things the lesson brings out is we know there's no fulfillment and certainly not Mayor Shalal Hashbaz because his name wasn't Emmanuel. Well, guess what? Jesus' name wasn't Emmanuel either. It was Ye Yeshua or Iesus in the Greek, right? I mean, he was, but Emmanuel was pointing to the fact that he was God with us. And God, through this prophecy, I believe, is trying to tell his people that through this sign, I'm telling you I'm with you. So it was the mess. So the, the fact that the child wasn't named Emmanuel doesn't tag him out any more than Jesus. Yes. Yes. And, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Shall call his name Emmanuel. Now it says, the, the next verse is where a lot of people get into trouble. I'm reading it in the King James. If you do any reading in different translations or or in the original language or commentators um, I'll bring up the point in a minute it says curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good in the Hebrew and you'll find this reflected in the ESV in the NASB and other translations it doesn't say that curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse it says curds and honey he shall eat when he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, now, follow what it's saying. In other words, a child, an infant, when does an infant start eating curds and honey? When he's nursing? When he's weaned. No, when he's weaned. So, when he reaches a certain age. Now, notice, curds and honey he shall eat when he knows to... Refuse the evil and choose the good. In other words, when the child reaches a certain age, now notice, the next verse fills this in. Because, the word is for, for or because before the child shall know. So when he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good, he'll eat curds and honey. But before the child knows this, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now in the context, the king Rezin and the king Pekah 
those two kings were coming against Ahaz. Isaiah the prophet gives Ahaz the sign and says, Ahaz, listen, the Lord has got you covered. Don't worry about these two kings. Otherwhere, other places in the passage, God calls them two smoking firebrands. Don't worry about them. And here's a sign I'm going to give you. The child's going to be born. His name is going to be called God with us. And when that child reaches a certain age, these two kings are going to be done. That's what we just read there in those few verses. Are you following that? Now watch what happens in the very next chapter. Chapter 8, where we just read, I'm going to pick up in verse 3. Isaiah says, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Meir Shalal Hashbaz, which means um, hasten the, the, speed the spoil, hasten the, uh, no, 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 hasten the prey and speed the spoil. Something like that. In other words, speedy conquest of the enemies. Verse 4. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus, okay, Damascus was where the Syrians ruled, that is, King Rezin, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria. Samaria is where Pekah ruled. These are the two kings that were coming against Ahaz. I gotta find my place again. Verse four will be taken away before the king of Assyria. In other words, the king of Assyria is gonna come and he's gonna overthrow this king of Damascus and this king of Samaria, and you're not gonna have to worry about it. So in chapter fourteen, or chapter seven, verses fourteen and onward, the Lord is saying this child's gonna be born, and before he reaches a certain age, the two kings who you fear are gonna be overthrown. You come to chapter eight, a child is born, and before he reaches a certain age. These two countries are going to be overthrown. So you see, when you look at it, you see the perfect parallel and fulfillment, I believe, in this birth of Isaiah's son. Now, it's, a, it's, a, it's an initial fulfillment, and we know there's the application to Jesus later on. There are commentators that hold this position, and it's interesting that the quarterly actually brought that up. I'm trying to see which, on, on Wednesday's lesson, they bring up four different potential options that other people have suggested I think it's number one well number one is where they said however this uh, because the word for young woman refers to uh, refers to a young woman of marriageable age many assume she's married a married woman living in Jerusalem perhaps the wife of Isaiah Isaiah 8 3 does record the birth of a son to Isaiah by quote the prophetess referring to his wife whose prophetic messages consist at least of her children um, however, this son was named Meher Shalal Hashbaz, not Emmanuel. Nevertheless, the two signs of the bo- the signs of the two boys are similar in that they, before they reach the age stage at which they can choose good or evil, Syria and northern Israel would be devastated. So, in other words, the quarterly makes the point that well, now this is interesting. There's a young woman. That's what the word virgin really means, marriageable age. She does have a child, and interestingly enough, the two child that they're similar um, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 because they do reach a stage where they can choose good or evil uh, before that time northern you know etc except and their exception is child's name wasn't Emmanuel so at any rate our takeaway from that my takeaway from that was that the chapter 8 is the fulfillment of chapter 7 now the lesson continues on in that thought I think in the next quarterly's lesson it says 
Because in chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the quarterly says, well, here's the third miracle birth in the book of Isaiah, and I I just think it's missing the mark of what Scripture is saying. I'm sharing that with you as an example of one of those things where in your study of the lesson, you may disagree with what the quarterly says. Now, I wouldn't just feel free to always disagree because sometimes it's easy to disagree with things we don't like. But if your study of the Scripture and the passages leads you to a different conclusion... Check it with somebody else and run it by him, maybe, and say, hey, what do you see in this? But that's part of your own study of the lesson, and don't feel like you're doing some kind of disservice. Um, there are a couple other examples we'll share in conclusion that aren't as involved in that, but why don't you go ahead. Oh, one more thing I needed to share on that. We were talking about the sign. The yes. sun was going to be signed. In chapter 8, the child is born, Mary Shal Hashbaz. And if you look at verse, um, what verse is that? Verse 4 not verse 4, 18, 18 in uh, chapter 8, notice what Isaiah says. He says, Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. So the child will be given as a sign, and he had two sons that both had unique names that God gave as signs. So even the prophet says, My sons are signs to Israel after this whole thing. To me, that's solidified that there's a fulfillment in Meir Shalah Hashbaz, of the child that would be born that was assigned to King Ahaz and a foreshadowing of the virgin son of Mary, uh, the son of God. Yeah, our time is rolling on, but I want to give one more quick illustration of this. You go to the very first lesson in the quarterly, quarter one, uh, lesson one, and that's going to be page six of the standard edition, page seven of the teacher's edition. Uh, There's a passage that's referred to in Isaiah chapter one, since you have your Bibles. Isaiah chapter one, verse 15 says... It's referring to God speaking to his people and his frustration with them at at the condition in which they come before him. And it says in verse 15, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And that's kind of an odd statement to make just pulled out of context. They're praying to God with hands full of blood and God's not hearing them. What does that mean? Well, this is the statement given in the lesson. She said, uh, the, the lesson quarterly. lesson quarterly writes, the same hands that offered sacrifices and were lifted up in prayer were, quote, full of blood, semicolon, that is, guilty of violence and oppression of others. So the interpretation of that phrase, hands full of blood, is saying they were not being just and kind and they were being oppressive to others, and that's the guilt that's on their hands, the blood that's on their hands. That's why God doesn't hear them. Now, I would submit to you, there's a uh, perhaps a better... Bit. What's that? Quiz them a little bit. What, do we ask have time for a quiz? Was... Yeah. Okay, what question do you want to ask them? I want to ask them, look at the passage and, and, and tell me if that sounds right. Do you have a suggestion if of another reading... way of reading that? Yeah. Say, say it again, brother. Sorry. It was an ex, it was the sacrifices that they were offering uh, as more of a um, justification for their sin, and so their their the, the purpose behind them was lost. And so they were they were doing them, and that was what they did. Right. Now, and, now, why would you say that? Oh, well, I just in verse. There it is. I think the simple answer you're exactly. looking at is because the Bible says so. <laughs> 
because because that's where and that, because that's where the context is all about animal sacrifices. Right, and so later on in the book of Isaiah, which they do refer to that they are oppressing people, they are unjust, they are not being kind and taking others in. That's totally legitimate. But in that context, if you go back and read, starting there with verse ten, just very quickly. Yeah, and he's talking, we agree with you, Reed, but I, I wanted everybody to be thinking, like, why, why do you say that? Because right what there does the, the Bible passage, say? Look at verse 10. And this is speaking to God's own people. This is he, Isaiah this is what, 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So he's referring to his own people as Sodom and Gomorrah here, right? Not good. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the what? Blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. So he's talking about all these sacrificial offerings you keep giving to me, but you are still Sodom and Gomorrah in your hearts, right? When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? So again, the hands with blood coming to God. Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sick and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of what? Blood. In the immediate context, what, what God is specifically blood? talking about is their disingenuous sacrifices just for the sake of going through the motions, but it's not having any converting power. He said that's the issue. And yes, one of the evidences of that is lack of justice and kindness in general. But in the immediate context, God was frustrated with the sacrifices, the bloody sacrifices they were offering, as though that would in itself well, atone for their own transgression. Yeah, and this is one of those examples. You know, there are some things we could look at in the lesson and say, well, that's just, you know, a different perspective. But this was one of those things that I felt was, you know, I made it a clear point when we went over this. It misses the mark of where the lesson is going because the reality is, and I can appreciate the lesson trying to encourage us to more acts of justice and kindness. But the fact of the matter is, the, the animal sacrifices they were bringing. I mean, think about this. The Lord who prescribed them asks the question, who has required this from your hand? You'd be like, Lord, you did. But what the Lord was saying is, the purpose that I prescribed animal sacrifices is that you would see in them the sacrifice of my son for your sins and you would choose to live a life away from sin instead what they were doing is saying oh well I guess I'm just going to keep on sinning and sacrificing sinning and sacrificing and so instead of the sacrifices pointing them to the strength of the Lord to lead to lead and live a better life they were using it as an excuse to live in sin and that's a huge thing to miss and the reality is, a person can go about doing random acts of kindness and justice and still harbor sin in their heart. And when the day of the Lord comes, he's going to say, I never knew you. And so that was one of those things we felt deal. like, yeah, this needs to be highlighted in the lesson for whatever. I don't, I'm not going to fault. I don't know what they were thinking. But when you read the context of the passage, your hands are full of blood. What kind of blood is he talking about? Sacrificial blood. And when you see the, the meaning in it, 
especially as a teacher, you're going to catch those things sometimes. I mean, the reality is this. To be true, uh, uh, and I've talked about it, we've gone through talking points and I've outlined stuff, and then after I've done my outline, I go back and I look at it and I think, why did I put that? The reality is that I could write a lesson, and you could go over the lesson I wrote and look in there and say, how did he miss this? And God forbid you would follow what I wrote when you see the Lord showing you something else that's going to be to the point. Or if I wrote something incorrect. And I and I think the contributors of the lesson feel the same way. And I'm not, we're not trying to throw the lesson under the bus, but in all of this, we're just trying to say that... These are examples of things you'll run into, right? And, yeah, we're pointing back to the right. fact that this is the lesson book, not this. And this yeah. is going to... Yeah, the, the, the quarterly is always going to have the potential for error because it's not inspired. But the Word of God... We'll never have error. Amen. And I don't know if we want to highlight this one or we want to cut straight to the Q and A. I think we could maybe I think do we'll that. Do Q&A. Because I don't. Uh, we, do, we don't want to just uh, take all the time and give example after example. We just want to give you a, a, a little brief sample of some of the obstacles you might run into when you're preparing for uh, Sabbath school class, especially if you're preparing to teach one. And how we go about resolving that is going back to the Word, going back to the inspired counsel we have in the Spirit of Prophecy to iron out those things. And again, it's not to throw anyone under the bus who's a. Oh, contributor or editor, anyone has anything in the process, we're all part of this fallible family. But we need to go back to the standard, which is the Word of God for all kind of questions like that. But speaking of questions, I don't know if you have any or lots or just a few, but we have roving microphones around. Uh, these could be questions about the Sabbath school quarterly we're in, or about Sabbath school teaching in general, or about Sabbath school in a broader sense. If you have any questions about Sabbath school as a as a in its experience or whatever it is, uh, we would love to hear from you at this time. So, does anyone have a question in any way related to Sabbath school or Sabbath school programming? I think we have the purple microphone up here. We do, and it's not on. Yeah. There it is. How important is it, do you think, to finish the entire quarterly session, a weekly quarterly session, as opposed to maybe getting halfway through and focusing on the parts you think are most important, or you have a good dialogue, but you don't get past Tuesday? <laughs> are you speaking from experience, or is that all theoretical? That, I'm not... it's, it's pretty normal, actually. Okay. Mark, you want to take that one? Yeah, I... One of the, that's one of the main reasons we started with the talking points is because when you go through the lesson chronologically, what if your most relevant point, especially for your class, comes on Thursday and you miss it on a regular basis? And we see this happen all the time. Our encouragement is that the teacher would draw out from that week's lesson the main points uh, and we've always said three. In fact, we're going to do something a little bit following this. The last thing we're going to do is a live talking points. We're going to look at a future lesson where we're going to record that. You know, we, for those of you who don't understand, we record a weekly 30-minute uh, program to give tips on how to teach or go through the lesson. And we're going to do one here. The one we're going to do for lesson number nine, we're going to do live right here. But um, drawing out those points... And we encourage no more than three, just because what happens is that you're never going to exhaust everything in the lesson. You know that. And that's basically what you're saying. I don't get through the lesson. So pick out the things you think are the most helpful to the group you're teaching. And when you have those in your mind, then if you have 45 minutes or 30 minutes or even 15 minutes, you can cover three points. And that way you don't miss the important point. You're not like, man... 
there's one thing I really wanted to get through, and I've seen teachers do this sometimes. They'll go, oh, there's one thing, I'm, well, we got a minute and a half, and they try to do it in a minute and a half. You won't ever have to deal with that if you know your talking points ahead of time. So that's kind of the reason we've been promoting that. Well, also, I think in your question uh, uh, reveals an approach to the lesson quarterly that in the teaching of it, it goes sequentially. It goes, all right, Saturday afternoon we saw this, then Sunday we saw this. Then. The assumption being that there are seven distinct points each week, and we need to go in order to get them all. And if we don't get to them by the closing bell, we missed out. And I feel bad for the Thursday points, like I feel bad for like the third stanza in a hymn. Because you're like, let's do first and fourth stanza. And like, what? there's some good stuff on the thing, you know? And we just kind of skip over them for expedition, say, for the, for the sake of time. But as Mark was saying, if you have a picture in your head, now some quarters are more narrative and a flow, and so there is a continuity from Sunday, the Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But oftentimes, they will be kind of, here's a point this day and this point. And you could draw out, I've looked at some lessons and I'm like, there were a couple of days points in there that really weren't that big of a deal. It kind of made it feel like you had five and just made up two to stick in there, you know? Not that that would ever happen. But... You, as the teacher, are responsible saying, my job is to communicate and, and to really drill in the most important things from this lesson. So you should know, I'm going to draw out something from Thursday, and, I, and if we've got five minutes left, I'm cutting it off. I'm getting to that point, right? So that you should have that balance. Of, like, your, your goal isn't to, because this day, all right, I've got five minutes left. i got to get to Thursday, but I'm on Monday, so that means i got to quickly do Tuesday, Wednesday, and then get to the, Just jettison the ones you weren't going to highlight anyway. That's right. Cut straight to the point. Right, so then that's why you want to have points in your mind, so that you can, no matter what time frame you're given, five minutes or fifty, you're good. And just tell your class there are some things I couldn't cover. Hopefully, you saw those during the week. But if you didn't, go back and review your course. See, and then you're done. Handily there. Now, interestingly yeah. enough, we're going to kind of do a new thing in this final segment on the talking points. I've actually, it's the first time we've done it. It's kind of a revolutionary thing. But I only took two points out of the lesson, and I entirely dropped Thursday's lesson out, even though it's a good lesson. So we'll explain why. But so it's for sake of covering the things I felt needed more emphasis. So Excellent. that's what you do as a teacher. And that will be coming up in just a few minutes when we do that actual filming. But are there other questions about Sabbath School? We don't want to belabor it, but are there questions people might have about your own study of the quarterly lessons or the teaching of them in the local church? There's one. Can we get a microphone to the brother right here? Thank you. Yeah, I find, uh, thanks, Walter, by the way. I found uh, that during my study with the lesson, I've been having to uh, open the Bible or open my smartphone to get the text. And in doing that, uh, sometimes I bring my lesson, in fact, I have my lesson in the car. Uh, but I might Close. have access to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other than the other there. So I was wondering if there's a way to, to have the verses... Uh, when they tell you, can you go read this chapter, go read this verse, have it at the back of the quarterly already printed as, uh, from the Bible so that we can have it all in one piece because they have to have the Bible and the quarterly in two separate, either book or smartphone, seems to have that deal where, you know, and they have the actual verse for the whole week on there, but if they can add the verses throughout the week in the back of the quarterly, so it's included, so you could read. And it only has to be what they're telling you to read. It doesn't have to be the whole Bible. Yeah. We've got good news and bad news for you. Yeah, the good news is the thing you're asking for exists already. Okay? And, for instance, I was up here with the app right now to an extent. Let me finish. 
right, so. I got better news than that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, there's this app, and I forget the exact name of it. It's the Sabbath School app, but I know that in my, uh, that it's got the little. How many of you have seen the green app? You know it's got a white about? field with a Some green book. Some of you know book. what the green app is. Okay, it's got a white background with the little green uh, uh, logo of a Bible or a quarterly. You open that up, and what happens is, for inch, for anyway, you open it up, and all the passages, you click on them, and it pops up the scripture. So you can read the quarterly comments and the scriptural basis in one app. That exists already. Now, one of the challenges we were actually going to bring up at this point was that one of the things that was stated in one of these lessons one week was, I thought, a rather odd statement. It said something along the lines of, God's wrath even shook the sun, the moon, and the stars. I was like, huh? And then we compared it with the paper edition, and that statement had been edited and rephrased differently. And then we looked at the title, it's like, oh, that's a little bit. So apparently what has happened, at least as it presently stands, is the app gets an I, I can only surmise an earlier version of the. We get we get, we get a pre-release of the quarterly before it comes out, so we can start on some talking points, so that we're not, you know, the report doesn't come out. We got a whole bunch to do. Yeah. But that evidently the pre-release, there are still some tweaks that take place after the pre-release, and it seems that one of these apps had gotten the pre-release before the print. Because there's another app that you're probably familiar with that just looks like the lesson. So it's the final PDF copy, whatever else, put in an app. The other app evidently has used the pre-release, and we started finding a little bit of differences. But I don't know, are we open to say what's coming down the road, or are we not? That's what I was going to say. That was my good news. Well, I'm excited about Well, why don't you deliver the good news? That's right, because I'm the associate. Exactly. What are you going to say? Exactly. So Fire anyway, <laughs> no, my brother Jim works in the general conference, and I've complained to him about this. I don't know that you should say complained. You have spoken with him. I've, compl- I've complained. Okay. I've apologized, but I've complained. So there's a, the, 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 the app that looks like the quarterly has been the official app. Only, I guess, several, at least for Apple, several iOS versions ago, it stopped being supported. So it used to be that that app would allow you to tap the text, and the text would show up. So read this, t- and I tap it, and it would open the Bible for you. doesn't do that anymore. The other thing that it doesn't do is I'm finding that I use my iPad more and more, and I know there are these preachers like, don't read off your phone and don't read off your iPad. Wait till they get reading glasses. That's all I got to say. Then you can get the text and make it big. And so that's why I tend to use my iPad more. And I've got an Apple Pencil, and I take notes. That's that's how I do it. And at any rate, in talking with my brother, they they there is another app, the Green app, that has been purchased by the General Conference. They are making that the official app, and they are tweaking it to allow... What I was going to say is, I'll make, even in in both of the apps I've worked in, I'll go through and I'll highlight things in the lesson, and then it refreshes and it's all gone. I I can't stand that. So all of that is being worked on. I don't know the time frame. I get the impression that perhaps by summer that there will be a new functional app full feature app that may have the things you're talking about. Now, as far as adding pages, I doubt they'll be going that route just because people are getting further away from using the, as much as I know people say also, I love books and whatever else. it costs money to put pages yeah. and things, and they're trying to streamline it you know, for the world. So at least you can reference it, assuming people have access to but a the app. But the app will have those features, and uh, I'm really excited about it, and I know it's forthcoming. So 
awesome. If it's Thank not you. good for you, news for you, it's good news for me. All right, we have one more question up here. Yes. So I appreciate what you're doing is trying to be supportive of the of the lesson study. But but <laughs> I listened to your message today. Yes. And the Sabbath schools ideally should be an evangelistic tool, something that you're inviting people to. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's way more important to be studying the Bible than it is to be studying your quarterly. But you said today that the quarterly is supposed to direct us to the Bible, and I, I'm frustrated because I know there's better resources. I mean, we've had great things like Bible readings for the home circle. It's just full of one study after another after another, just great stuff. It would be great to be sharing with other people. And instead, we kind of get these things like education and art. Then we have this situation where... Let me just tell you something. We made a good study out of education and art. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You also have this other problem where, you know, sometimes you're very well-versed in the, in, in the subject matter, right? And so you're looking through the quarterly and you're like, man, they just, they blew it. <laughs> like, like, kind of like, what you just did with Isaiah, right? So if we didn't say that but phrase, let's be you clear. You didn't say it, but I'm reading between the lines. Um, but then when we give this to other people that maybe aren't, nearly as, as well studied and knowledgeable as you are when they get it they don't know that and it's not there in the lesson study right it's just not there and it's never going to be there because they're not getting the resources that need to be there and i, I guess i'm just making an appeal we can do so much better why don't we I'll answer it if you want to. I bet you will. That's what I'm trying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Should, should we allow Mark the liberty to go ahead and, and no? I, go ahead, say some things. Well, this is I'll just pack up my stuff and head home. <laughs> no, this is what this is what we've been talking about. First of all, I think we can do better in many areas That's in the right. Seventh Day Adventist Church, and it's got to start somewhere. And I don't think it's going to start with bureaucracy. I think it's going to start with Sabbath school teachers. And that's why we're trying to teach Sabbath school teachers to take hold of Sabbath school. Be a leader. Be a teacher. Study the lesson yourself. The Lord's going to give you things to bring out. Now, I'm, I trust that the Lord is working through the ranks of Adventism. And I know I've had conversations that I'm maybe not as much liberty to talk about. But I know there are efforts to make our Sabbath school lessons more substantial for all age groups, by the way. Um, we're going to have those frustrations. Uh, you mentioned, and I really want to uh, comment on this, you mentioned the level of knowledge we have. And we, when we started this week on Wednesday night, one of the things we did, we, we gave our backgrounds. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that is because, you know, Cameron has mentioned how he grew up in an Adventist home, Adventist parents, born in Adventist hospital, went to Adventist schools, etc., etc., etc. I went to Adventist elementary school. My family left the church. I never finished college. I don't have an extensive education other than what I've studied myself. The things that I know, I know from teaching and doing, putting the one talent to practice to get two, putting the two into practice to get three. You understand what I'm saying? And I just want to encourage people that God does not expect you to use what you don't have. He expects you to use what you do have. And yes, there are limitations, but I'm going to tell you that any, you know, I'm going back to the days of the reformers where was it, um, was it William Tyndall or was it, I think it was Tyndall who told the, the church leaders 
I'm going to make it so that a boy who drives the plow knows more of the scriptures than you scholars. And he did. (laughs) Because he put the Bible in the language of the common people. And so for the teacher who is challenged and doesn't feel like he or she knows a lot, you have the scripture and you have the spirit of truth. And those two things are going to give you substance to feed the flock that you're feeding, and you're going to learn from it and grow. Are there room for, is there room for improvements? Absolutely, and I'm praying for them, but I'm not going to pray for them and sit on my hands while I'm doing it. And I know that's not what you're suggesting, Jonathan. I'm going to keep pushing forward, and I'm going to say, you know, encourage you to do the same. And the Lord is going to move his work. I don't know. How was that? I thought it was fine. You want to fill in? No, I, I mean, I, I understand that because you were because what you start off is where I was going to go too. Is that yeah, we can start with the Sabbath school quarterly. Could it be better? Absolutely. But I'm guessing our church services could be better. Our best. Our, I mean, you could go down the list of all kinds of things we could talk about: institutions, schools, publishing. I mean, you go down the list, and we could say, why? Why aren't they doing this better? Why aren't they doing it different? It'd be easy. It'd be tempting to say, why even use that at all? I'm going to strike out on this other. There is a continuity and harmony or unity that comes from all being on the same topic. Yeah. Now, could the resources be improved? Sure. And we're actually on the boat to help you know, steer it in the right direction yeah. to have an influence in that. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be won by everybody jumping off the boat either. So I don't know that the right course to take when something could be improved is to hop off and try something else. I think there's an important, you know, this is, a, and I don't want to get down too far along, along this line, but there have been opportunities, and maybe as the Lord leads, I'm not saying never in the future, but I've had opportunities to go work for supporting ministries that I love and, and have been a blessing to me. And it's been so tempting. But a lot of times those are you're hopping off the boat and then trying to steer from outside the boat. We need people to stay on the boat and help improve the direction from within and not just always from without. I think the best thing to have a cooperative, you know, ministry in the in the institutions, institutional ministry, in cooperation with supporting ministries, and that will be our best foot forward. So I would not recommend jettisoning a resource or an institution or some developed thing because it's not all that it could be. I would say let's continue to recognize its shortcomings, prayerfully address those things, and with God's help from outside and inside the structure, move in the right direction. That would be my appeal. So that's what we're trying to model here with the Sabbath School Quarterly. We're not saying this is no, but we're going to say, hey, there's some challenges. Here's how we dealt with them. But the real issue is the Bible study. Get in there, and that's where I go. I would add, my recommendation is that every Sabbath School should have a new believers class Mm. that cycles through. I wouldn't want to keep the new believers forever in the new believers class, but I don't know that I want to launch a new believer right into the quarterly class because there's a lot of basic things they need to learn right away that isn't covered in the quarterly. So I don't think that's a uh, an affront to the quarterly. I would encourage the classes that go over the adult Bible study guide, but I would have a beginner's class as well. And I think that would meet some of that need, and that's where you would invite maybe those those new people or whatever. So, so, then, so you would be okay with... with if you're doing an evangelistic Bible Sabbath school, maybe not using the word. Yeah, yeah. For example, well, we finished. Okay. We just finished. Well, but we just finished an evangelistic series uh, last. Well, it wasn't last fall. It was. It was. Uh, Nothing happened last fall. Before COVID hit, and and then through the end of last year, 
And what we did with the people who came through that series is for prayer meeting and for Sabbath school, we went through the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. And that was super helpful for them because if, you, if you've ever seen a person come through an evangelistic meeting and you're drinking through the fire hose, the proverbial fire hose, they need to get that information again and it's a different, and it, so it gets them used to the fellowship of Sabbath school, the platform of Sabbath school, but it gives them the information they need. Now we had adult classes going on at that time and when they got done with those studies, then they went into the adult class. So as a... And anticipating, of course... That very um, that very issue about what about new believers, and I'm not just saying this because we're on the you know Sabbath school team, but the General Conference Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department does produce a quarterly for new believers that's separate from the regular one. There are for four this. of them. It's a, it's a four it's a four quarter uh, cycle, a single year where you can take new believers and it goes through the basics of the Adventist faith for those who may not be ready for. A Roy Gain level, you know, intense study of Isaiah, which is a blessing and a benefit, but maybe they're not there for it yet. So there are transitional uh, resources to help in that, to help them get used to the format and the, and the, the style of a Sabbath school class after they're coming from a big campaign. But it's built to establish them more firmly in the faith. They're they're printed by Pacific Press, and you can have your local local ABC get you a copy of one of each of the if you want to look through them. I just, just explore it. Look at the resources um, that are available. Because we're trying to make that a lot of people aren't even aware of them, and so we just, I just had to order a couple more to get the whole set of sure. four. But you can do that from. And the there's ABC. also for those of you who are probably aware of the inverse uh, lessons. That's another way. Now, the challenge with that is, because I really, I like the guys who put it together. I like the material, the resource itself. It's a different way of addressing a Sabbath school study, and I really appreciate that. Um, the challenge is that every other quarter, it does a different topic than the standard adult Bible study. Because when they just built the inverse curriculum, they surveyed the field. How many, would there be wanting to stick with an updated version of what we currently have and just follow along the same sequence? Like next quarter, I don't know what next quarter is, but we're currently in Isaiah. We were in education, and to follow those topical, you know, outline, or would you like to strike off in a new direction and just? And it was about fifty-fifty the mix. So what they decided to do was compromise, and let's have, you know, one quarter will match the the rest of the world field, and the next quarter will be our own topic. Then so it alternates quarters, and so the challenge with I I, I highly recommend the inverse series of resources. Just the only caveat is. It's half of the year. It doesn't match your other Bible study guides that the rest of the church would be going. Currently, it's collegiate. Yeah, currently it's collegiate, but it's a great resource for. I mean, if collegiate, don't really start. Young adult these days goes up to age thirty-five, and for some reason we can't. You should be able to handle an adult Bible study class at age thirteen. I don't even know why. Not going to give that speech. All right, right along. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any other questions? Not to belabor this, but I think I see one more hand in the back. We'll make this our last hand. Yeah, this will be our last one. I only see one hand, so that's what we got. You have our attention. Okay, maybe it's not a question. It's more about how many regards to what you just asked, you know what you're saying. And I just want to emphasize for the importance of the Sabbath school. Um, I'm someone that likes to travel around, and I remember this one time I went to Alaska to work in the fisheries industry. And I had been studying my, my Sabbath school, and I popped in a little tiny Adventist school uh, church, and I couldn't fit in right because I had been studying the same thing they had been reviewing. So that's one of the beauties of Harvey, 
that the Seventh-day Adventist Church shares, you know, that no matter what country you're at, there's a, a similar topic that's being studied and prayed for and meditated on. And so, um, due to that, I actually I am very interested in teaching uh, Sabbath school because I have seen the blessing that it has been in my personal life. Amen. Thank you for that testimony, sister. That's a great way to close off this time together. Um, thank you so much for you know being part of this and contributing with your questions and comments. We really appreciate that. And what we want to take away is the reality that Sabbath school quarterlies are just what they are. They're human-made. You know, you've heard the joke, uh, what's, a, what's a camel? It's a horse built by committee. You know, you're going to have different parts and pieces that sometimes, but we're all aiming for the same thing to know God and his word and become more like Jesus. And that's our ultimate goal. And Sabbath school has an awesome opportunity to do that very thing. So Mark, why don't you close us down with a prayer for this section? Can you do that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the Sabbath day. We're thankful for our fellow brothers and sisters here, Lord, people of like faith, uh, the privilege we have of coming together. Lord, we thank you for your word, both the written word and the living word, Lord that have given us, have shown us the way to eternal life. I ask now, Lord, you would bless us through the remainder of the Sabbath hours. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.